All right. My name is Annette. We're going to go through some worship this morning. Um, it's family worship, so we've got the kiddos in here, which I'm super grateful to see. Good morning, guys. So um, as we get started, if you guys could please stand for the first song. And we're going to open with a prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for the freedom to be able to worship you, Lord. And I pray that as we're gathering this morning that you calm our hearts and calm our minds and help us to find just a nice quiet place in our hearts where we can find you. We thank you for your faithfulness, God. Free and my shame is on now. 
thank you for the love and power and mercy and goodness and grace you bring to us. Thank you, Father God. All of you guys, just stay standing for a moment. Um, just as we were worshiping, I, I, just, I felt an impression from God that there are, are some of you here who you still feel chained and you still feel shackled and you still don't have quite, like you want that freedom to really worship God with all, like all of you, with all that you have, with your whole self, with your body, mind, spirit, and soul, like everything that you are. And so um, I just, I want to pray into that really quick. I, I want to ask the Lord for freedom for us. So Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, would you come? Come, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, would you break off those shackles? Would you break off those chains, those, those things that are holding us back from giving you all that we are, from worshiping you with, with everything that we have, God? Lord, I think about the, um, just the complete like inhibition of King David, who here he is the king. He's the ruler of this whole nation and he strips down to his underwear and dances in the street and praises you because he just like can't help himself lord i don't want to quite go that far at least not for me it wouldn't be pretty people would be like why is there a sasquatch dancing around but lord could we be free in you god lord could we truly be released to worship you with every fiber of our being, Jesus. Give us your freedom, God. Give us your freedom, Lord. Amen. Um, I would love for it if everyone could please stand, and if we could go ahead and just greet each other um, while I get stuff switched over here. So go and try and find a couple folks that you don't quite know. Introduce yourself. Say hi. Have some hospitality. Bless each other in the name of Jesus. And I'm going to get stuff set.
Okay, if I could have you guys start wandering back to your seats, please. I would appreciate it. Thank you. Although I love the the hanging out and friendliness. Good morning, guys. Um, I, first of all, respect props to you. It's a holiday weekend and you're in church. <laughs> like I, like, you know, we've got folks out all over the place this weekend. I see all of my church friends like we're out boating, we're out camping, we're in the wilderness, which don't hear me making any kind of judgment or any kind of bad thing against that. Do that. Please <laughs> enjoy your families. Enjoy the amazing, beautiful creation that God gave us. You're never going to hear me say, no, if you're not here, then Jesus doesn't love you. Bull. It's not true. <laughs> God gave us creation. We should enjoy it. So don't, like I said, don't hear any commentary from me about that. But I appreciate all of you being here and all of our folks watching online. Thank you for so I know a couple folks are checking in while they're on vacation this morning because I saw their names pop up. So anyway, be blessed, all of you. We're going to be finishing our series. We've been doing a series on the fruit of the Spirit and being a disciple. I was uh, talking to the worship team this morning as we were kind of praying. We always get together and kind of gather and pray before service. And I was like, you know, I've been in church... 40, 50, you know, 40 plus years at least that I can have a recollection of. And in those 40 years, on a Sunday morning, I don't think I've ever heard somebody preach about gentleness. Like it's just not one of the things. I mean, faith, self-control, you know, know, having the Holy Spirit, all these different things. But Paul, who gave us Galatians as he's writing this letter to the Galatians, felt like these things, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, these were all necessary things for being a follower of Jesus. And it's just, like, it just kind of hit me. Um, And as I was putting it together... You know, if I go and, like, do some research, like, you know, give me, like, look up Grudem or look up Foster or other people, like, you know, give me some some background on justification, on the theology of justification, or, you know, what is faith, different things like that, you could find a, a lot of resources. I started looking up this Fruit of the Spirit of Gentleness. There's not a whole lot out there. <laughs> And, and so it, just, it just kind of hit me, and so I was just kind of sharing with you guys a little bit of my, my process as I was looking at this. And so when we get there, if the gentleness piece seems a little bit shorter than the others, there's a reason for it. Although I found this amazing example um, by the head of Bethel Church, uh, Bill Johnson. He wasn't talking about gentleness, but he exhibited the character trait of gentleness. And I'll, well, I'll sh- there's a little video, a little two-minute video clip I'm going to show of Bill Johnson. So jumping in, Galatians 5, through 23 says this, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. 
And it says that Christians will be known by what? By our fruit, right? By the fruits of the Spirit. So this list, while not exhaustive, are the things that were important that Paul said, I'm an apostle. You know that I'm an apostle of Jesus. You know that I'm a follower of Christ because I have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And so some of these things that we don't generally press into as Christians, I felt like it was really important for us to not ignore those. For us not to just say, you know, we, we try to, here at the Vineyard, to the absolute best of our ability, walk through Scripture, work through Scripture, take Scripture as it comes, and teach on what Scripture shows us, rather than having an ideology or a, um, here's my belief, or here's my position, or here's what I think, and I'm going to shoehorn Scripture in, into meeting what I think. Like, I want Scripture to support what I think rather than changing what I think to meet Scripture. Scripture should be our high bar. Scripture should be the measuring ruler that we use as we approach our lives. Um, And so, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Let's jump in. Starting with faithfulness. In young life... We had this concept. I was a Young Life leader for 10-ish years, something like that, off and on in different places. I was the leader of the Franklin Middle School at one point. Um, I helped with Eisenhower Young Life. I worked um, as the Toppenish Young Life leader. One year, um, Dave Edler, who was the area director at that time before he became the senior pastor over at Yakima Foursquare, Um, I was his intern for two years, and there was this one summer where um, the leader of the Young Life group down in Prosser, uh, something happened. They got an injury or they were sick. I can't quite remember what happened. Anyway, he's like, Dusty, I'm sending you with this group of kids that you've never met because they've already all paid their money to go to Malibu, and they need a leader, so you're going. I'm like... But Dave, <laughs> that's not our, the idea is that we like, we work with the kids and we get to know each other when we build trust and we have familiarity and then I can tell them about Jesus and they know that I'm not just some crazy person because they've known me over time. I've, I've earned the right to be heard. He's like, yeah, I know, but there's nobody else. So you're going, <laughs> yes, boss. Um, and so I had to start from scratch with these young men. Um, One of them, because I didn't know these kids very well, he like snuck off and he had these rolling papers and he went and found some random dry weeds that were out up in the forest and smoked them and started projectile vomiting within like three minutes afterwards, like emptied his stomach because he found these dried weeds that he thought, well, these look good, I'll just try smoking these. And And that was the start to my week up at Malibu with these young men. If I had known these young men, I might have known that this particular one might have, this was something that he might have done. Uh, And when I tried to, like, correct him and, and say, hey, you know, maybe this isn't a good idea, 
you know, you can see the result of your bad choice in the immediacy of you emptying your stomach all over the forest floor. You know, there's... But he, could, he didn't listen to me because... Why? I hadn't earned the right to be heard. He didn't know me. So what does this have to do with faithfulness? God's faithfulness to us is the example for us how to live our lives as followers of Jesus, right? And if we are faithful to people who we are in relationship with, our friends, our family, our coworkers, people in the community, if, we, if we're people of faith, if we're faithful, if we show our faithfulness, the odds of them hearing us when we speak about the goodness of Jesus, when we, when we can tell them about the good news of God, it's more likely to be heard because they know that we're someone who is faithful. They know that we're someone who can be trusted. They know that we're someone who has proven ourselves to them over and over. And so faithfulness is important. John 1.14 says this, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory... Glory as only the Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Psalms 33, 4 says this, For the word of the Lord is upright, and all of his work is done in faithfulness. We learn what faithfulness should look like by studying the faithfulness of God. As I've said before over and over, Jesus is the primary revelation of God to our world. And you can see the faithfulness of Jesus. I think about I think about when Peter refuted God three times. And Jesus was still faithful to him. And he was still faithful to when he said, "Hey Peter, on you I'm going to build my church." <laughs> like even after Peter did all that, Jesus was still faithful to him and still built his church on Peter. For the person who is faithful, their word is bond, and their actions are in unity with their words. I want to say that again. For the person who is faithful, their word is their bond, and their actions are in unity with their words. This should be our expectation as Christians for each other, for anyone who calls themselves a follower of Jesus if we say we are going to do something, if we say that I am this, truth matters. The truth matters immensely. And it's one of the attributes of someone who follows Jesus, who's, who's truly a Christian. And it's not just our words. We can say all day, I'm going to do this. I could tell my wife all day I'm going to take out the garbage. If I don't actually do it, I'm not being very faithful. It's something I've really tried to instill in my son, Cormac. And he's he's good. He's a good kid. He really is. Like, if I ask him to do something, now, let me say, he's a teenage boy, and so sometimes he just plain old forgets things. But for the most part, if he says he's going to do something, he does it. He's pretty responsible. I, 
you know, Chris and I haven't really had to worry about him a whole lot because he does what he says he's going to do. Like I said, until he gets distracted, which, you know, for between me, you, and the whole internet who's watching, he gets distracted. <laughs> Starts playing a video game, hanging out with friends. Well, Dad, we decided to go to the park. <laughs> I know it's midnight. <laughs> you know. Continuing on. Psalm 91.4 says this. He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you may seek refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a bulwark. We can trust in God. God, Jesus is our safe place. He's our rock. He's our refuge. He's our sanctuary. When the whole world is going to hell around us, and I'm using that word as a literal thing, when hell is invading us and occurring all around us, Jesus can be our rock. Jesus can be our safe place. Our faith in the Lord can carry us and sustain us and bring us through. When someone is faithful, we can put our trust in them. Trust is absolutely necessary for the deepest love, both in human, interpersonal, and us with God. Trust has to be necessary. Trust has to be part of the equation for love to really occur. And having confidence in someone allows us to be vulnerable. If you don't trust somebody, there is no way you're going to open yourself up to pain and hurt. Like, if I don't trust you, um, I was, as I was trying to think of like a good illustration about this, I was thinking about there was this one dog when I go walk Odin, our dog, when I'm taking Odin out for a walk, there's this one dog in this fenced area that is loose, and it's his yard, so like, you know, he deserves to protect it. I'm not mad at the dog. But he, he's pretty mean. I mean, you could see that if that fence wasn't there, he would come at us. I don't trust that dog. I'm not going to like say, here, Odin, go play. Like, I think Odin could take him, but... I don't trust that the dog's not going to hurt Odin. Like, there's, I don't have trust. I, and I wouldn't go with this dog because I don't trust him. Like, he would probably bite me because I don't have confidence in the dog. Since I don't have confidence, I'm not going to make myself vulnerable. Some people are angry dogs. And it's really hard to trust them because you don't feel safe. They don't feel safe. And one of the hard parts of us being human is not to put our human brokenness and frailty and pain and hurt on God. Because in Jesus, you can trust him. Jesus is safe. Jesus will not hurt you. Jesus says he'll never leave us and he'll never forsake us. Jesus isn't going to run out on us. Jesus isn't going to cheat on us. Jesus isn't going to take off or hurt us or cause us pain. Jesus is safe. As Psalm 91 says, he'll cover you with his pinions, with his wings. And under his wings, we can have refuge. His faithfulness, our trust, his trust that he's developed with us, his trust is a shield for us. So we can trust God. We can trust Jesus. 
Deuteronomy 7.9 says this, Know therefore that the Lord your God, he is faithful, God keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. This is a covenant that God made with his people to demonstrate his unfailing love for them. And all of his promises are fulfilled. The identity of who God is shouldn't be in doubt. He is a God of faithful love. It says for even a thousand generations we can trust him. I'm not good at math. I don't know quite how many generations. I mean, it's a lot of years, right? (laughs) I think a generation is like 20 years or something like that, so 10,000 times. But I mean, I think it's just, you know, rhetorical. It's basically saying you can trust God forever. God is worthy of our eternal trust. His unfailing love. I love how that says this in Deuteronomy. It says, keeping his covenant of love. God's covenant with us is based in love. Romans 8, 38 through 39 says this, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is an illustration of Jesus' faithfulness. That's an illustration of God's faithfulness, that we can trust in him that he is faithful. He is worthy of that. Gentleness. I already gave the preface for this, so I'm not going to give a preface. Ephesians 4, 1 through 3 says this, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the peace, or excuse me, keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Paul is encouraging the Ephesians. It's on you, church, to make every effort to keep the peace and to have unity. It's on us, not the other people, not the guy who just ticked us off on Facebook, not the guy who just cut us off in traffic, not the person at the grocery store who took the last kumquat. Like, it's on us. I love how Paul says that if you're going to live a life worthy, worthy of the calling you've received, then you have to be humble and gentle and patient, having love. These are not things in our society that are put out as this is what you aspire to. Aspire to be gentle. Aspire to be humble. Aspire to be patient. Instead, it's, hey, look at me. Check my awesomeness. Right? We have a superstar culture, whether it be politics or sports or Hollywood or or whatever it is. It's completely based around giving me all the attention and all the glory, lifting me up. When the life of Christ was the complete antithesis of that. If anybody should have ever been the biggest superstar in all of history, somebody who would like 
walk, through, walk in and everyone, like, say Jesus was in a room with Billie Eilish, he would, like, she would get completely ignored because Jesus was there. Jesus' Instagram would blow up. Like, it would be crazy. Right? Because he's God. But that's not what he chose. He didn't choose to live that way. He chose to live a humble life. Said that the Son of God didn't even have a bed that he could rest in. When he rode into the city in glory, he did it on the back of a donkey. Right? And if we're followers of Jesus, dang. How do, so how have you applied this? Because you're also, um, you know, public enemy, enemy number one for a lot of people on the internet, right? Which I know you know about. Mm-hmm. How have you dealt with the constant slander, the constant attacks against you, against your church, against, you know, you, you're, you're a heretic, you're this, you're that, what are, you're a, a wolf in sheep's clothing. It's always, like, you probably get it more than anybody that I know. Mm-hmm. How have you dealt with that internally? Well, two things. Jesus experienced that, and he was perfect. As imperfect as I am, how could I expect to not experience that? It's logical. And so when you, when you sign up to follow Jesus, you, you sign up to experience the breakthroughs, the blessings, the increase, the presence, and the difficulties. And it's a part of it's part of saying yes. What I do is I like to take communion often, and when I do, I pray specifically for five key people that are international people, who have uh, excuse me, three of the five are international people um, that lead movements that are really targeted against me. And when I take communion, I pray for God to prosper their family, to prosper them to give them the rich legacy of children and grandchildren that love and serve him well. I I pray for their health, you know, their finances, every area of their life. And if if you just stay in that position of just constantly releasing blessing, not just tolerance, it doesn't help for me just to tolerate people, but to celebrate their, their efforts to honor Jesus. They call me names because they believe. For example, there are many, there's a rumor out there, I don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God. That's the craziest thing I've ever heard. No, I don't believe. I believe he is the Son of God. Eternal Son of God never stopped being. However, their zeal against me is for a good reason. They're mistaken, but they're just trying to defend the gospel. I can, I can stop long enough to appreciate that. I, I wouldn't do it the same way, but I'm... They're not my servant. It's foolish to judge another man's servant. So I, I just I leave it there and just pray a blessing. So Bill Johnson, he's the, the head of Bethel, the lead, lead pastor of Bethel. I felt like he really exhibited the Christian character of gentleness. He's got all of these people attacking him And what is he saying he's doing? He's praying for them. He's praying for their families. He's praying for their children. He's praying for their health. He's praying for their finances. He's he's praying blessing over them, even though they're attacking him. He's being gentle with them. 
And I know you can tell it's not easy for him. Like, it's hard. It's hard when people are coming at us. It's hard when people are attacking us. It's really difficult when people are maligning our character and saying things about us that are just patently untrue. But the way of Jesus is to respond in gentleness just as Bill did. It's too rare. It's too rare anymore. We don't see that kind of character. 2 Timothy 2, 24 through 25 says this, And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. I felt like Bill encapsulated that. I felt like he showed that. Oftentimes, I've found in my own life, when people speak badly about me or make up stories or treat me in the wrong way, that if I don't respond in kind, if I don't just punch back, but instead say, you know, I don't think we agree. I don't think we're going to be on the same page. We're, we're obviously approaching whatever issue or thing this is from two completely different places. But I can still respect you. I can respect God in you. I can follow what Paul says to be patiently endure evil. How hard is that, man? <laughs> like, how hard is that when people, like, you know, like with Bill, where people are, are just dragging your name through the dirt to be able to patiently endure that? That when you correct someone, you do it with gentleness. Everybody knows, I was talking with a friend recently, it was just last week. There is this thing in all of us that when we fight back, like, you treated me bad, that was unjust, you ticked me off, I'm mad, that when we can respond back in anger, there's this serotonin flush that happens in our brain that that feels really good. It feels really good to punch back. It feels really good to fight back. It feels really good to get yours. It does. It feels good. I'm not going to stand up here and pretend otherwise. That's why character is so important. Because our character has to be more important than what feels good. Because there are lots of things that are damaging to us and damaging to the world around us that feels really good in the moment. But the overall corrosive, destructive result of simply indulging our emotions and simply indulging our impulses and simply indulging what, what feels good destroys the world. Both literally and figuratively, our world is being destroyed by impulse and by, you know, I only care about me now, today, in this moment, and you and the rest of the world exist to serve me to make me feel good. It's completely antithetical to the life of Jesus. It's completely opposite to Scripture. 
And when I was in my 20s, I was, I was working at a church. I actually have a, I'm not going to say a, a longtime friend. We're not old. A longtime friend here this morning. And in my 20s, I was an intern over at Yakima Foursquare. I went into the church to study to be a pastor out of high school. And I remember I took a mission trip. I took a group of guys uh, and girls overseas. And we did this trip. And we came back. And when we got back, people had been talking about us at the church and I had to like go into this briefing with the pastors and there was all this conversation going on and, and it was this whole big mess and it was a bunch of stuff that wasn't true. And as the pastors kind of investigated and sorted through this, like the truth came to light. But this, I, and I remember being angry. I'm like, here I am. I'm, I'm 21 years old. I'm not out getting plastered. I'm on the mission field, <laughs> like taking people to go tell people about Jesus in the middle of Britain. And like we went and we went to the park in, in England, in the middle of London Hyde Park. And we were handing out sandwiches to people who were living in the park and telling them about Jesus. And I remember one of them was like, you sound like you're an American. Did George Bush send you to bring us sandwiches? <laughs> I was like, not, not that I'm aware of. <laughs> but it was really funny. Um, but like, I, here I am serving God, and I get home and immediately am like, I mean, literally got off the plane, and within two hours we're meeting with the pastors because it was like that level of, of accusation. Um. And like I said, they did a full investigation, and we were like, this is crazy talk. <laughs> but we were being attacked, and I was angry. I'm like, I'm doing the right things. I'm serving God. I'm, I'm doing, like, what I'm supposed to do, and I'm getting attacked? Like, how is that right? How is that fair? It's not fair. It's funny how we can, as adults, turn into toddlers sometimes, right? We run into things and we're like, it's not fair. I do it. <laughs> I'm not going to pretend I don't. I do it. And I was doing it then. I was like, this isn't fair. And I remember complaining to my, one of my best friends, Jonathan, at the time, and well, still is, but um, I remember him and I talking and I'm like, what the heck? <laughs> Like, what? How, how, how does this work? Like, I, you know, I thought if you do the right thing, then you're okay. <laughs> Turns out not, not necessarily. There's this, uh, I'm, I'm going to dip into my nerd pool here for a minute. There's this great, great quote from um, Captain Picard on Star Trek The Next Generation. And it goes like this. It says, sometimes you can do everything right, and still not achieve your designated outcome. That's not failure, that's just life. Like sometimes you can do everything right and still fail. Even if I made the right choices, did the right moves, you know, did the things I needed to do, sometimes I can still fail. We can choose how to respond to that. Paul encourages us to respond in gentleness. 
Paul encourages us to respond in kindness with love. 1 Peter 3, 14 through 16 says this, but even if you should suffer for what is right, you're blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you. Give the reason for the hope that you have But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. I love that last sentence. That last sentence actually kind of makes me happy. So that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. See, our character matters. And our character shouldn't be dependent on how others respond to us. Our character should be able to stand on its own. Our identity in Jesus should be able to stand on its own no matter what people might say or do to us. It just shouldn't matter. According to 1 Peter 3.14, this response to evilness, anger, slander, directed at us is gentleness and respect. That is not how our world responds, right? We can see that. It's pretty evident. That is not how our world responds. But gentleness is powerful enough to reveal to a person Jesus. While our anger... Our spite, our pride, our self-righteousness, our scripture refers to it being quarrelsome, will likely only drive them further from God's arms. Do you want people to know Jesus? Be gentle with them. Respect them. Be kind. Be loving. That's Paul's encouragement. Be considerate of others' feelings and needs. When we do this, we should look for ways to meet those needs and truly help people process through those feelings. Showing empathy. Empathy is acknowledging another person's point of view to understand their feelings. I don't know if you guys remember a few months ago, I, showed a, uh, or I, I shared a story of a man who, like, his, he was a jazz musician as a profession, his, his side hustle was converting people away from the KKK. He was a black man, jazz musician. And the way he did that was he would sit down and he would buy them dinner and have conversations and try to understand where they were coming from and hear them, let them speak to them, him and hear them, including all the horrible things they had to say about him as a black man. And he's, uh, I think it was like, uh, I read it a couple months ago, and so the story's a little fuzzy, but I want to say he collected something like 100 hoods from people who used to be in the Klan, just by being in community and having conversation with them, having empathy. Be patient. As Ephesians 4.2 says, be patient with each other, making allowances for each other's faults because of your love. 
So we're making allowances in church as Christians for each other's faults because of love, because of God's love, because of the love that God should stir in us. Treat others the way you'd like to be treated. I might have heard that somewhere. Some golden thing, I don't remember, but... Yeah, treat others the way you would like to be treated. Speak respectfully to everyone. Consider others as important and worthy of your kind regard. My son, when he was little, got in trouble. At, um, he was going to Riverside at the time. And I, I will call the 14-year-old boy in the McDonald's checkout line, sir. I, just, I, I, I try really hard to treat others with respect, even if it's the 14-year-old fast food worker. And so my son, when he was young, picked up on this. You know how kids kind of mirror their parents. And he was calling his teacher ma'am, because I would call it ma'am, sir, thank you, please. You know, those kind of things. Um, and his teacher thought he, she, he was disrespecting her by calling her ma'am. And like, so he got in trouble, and I remember having to have a conference with the teacher. Do you remember this, Chris? Yeah, you remember it. Uh, like, we had to have a conference with the teacher, and we're like, no, no, no. Christy's like... His dad does that. <laughs> His dad does that to everybody. And Cormac's just copying him because he calls everybody, like a lot of people, ma'am and sir, when he doesn't really know them well. Like if it's a friend, he's going to call them by their name. But like, you know, just people in the checkout line and stuff. And I think it's important for us to treat everyone with respect. Nobody wants to be a Karen or be around one. Nobody does. Seek peace. Search for solutions and common ground. Be a calm presence. Bring peace with you. Carry peace with you. Act with tenderness and love. Listen more than you speak, James 1.19, and be humble as you serve and care for others. I've joked at it, about it before. You know, we don't hand out a sandwich at the same time taking a selfie. It's not about us. It's about serving being humble. Finally, self-control. We've all done this, right? Lost our temper, said something we regret, <laughs> give in to an area of brokenness in our life, allowed us or our friends to tempt us to do something that we know we should not do. Rob Bell has this great thought. Freedom is not having everything we crave. It's being able to go without the things we crave and being okay with it. Freedom is not having everything we crave. It's being able to go without the things we crave and be okay with it. That's freedom. If I'm not addicted to alcohol, I'm free. If I'm not addicted to porn, I'm free. If I'm not addicted to my job, I'm free. If I'm not addicted to money, I'm free. If I'm not addicted to people thinking I'm amazing, I'm free. If I'm not addicted to anger, I'm free. That's real freedom. If I can do without those things, then they don't own me. The only one who should own me is my Lord with a capital L, King Jesus. That's the only one who should have any type of ownership over me is Jesus himself. All these other things 
That's not freedom. If you're addicted to it, you're not free to drink because you're stuck, right? That's not freedom. I don't want to live in that spot too long. That's probably a whole Sunday morning. But that's, you know, true freedom is being able to go without something. That's real freedom. Um, just because of time, I'm gonna, I was going to read all of Samuel, but we're running out of time. So, um, Proverbs 25, 28 says this. Like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. So Samuel 2, or 2 Samuel 12, excuse me, is the story of David and Bathsheba. I'm going to Reader's Digest condense <laughs> 2 Samuel 12. And basically, David saw this girl who he thought was pretty hot, and he wanted her. Problem was, she was married to another dude. And he was actually this super faithful, like, sergeant of David's, who, like, helped lead his armies. But this Bathsheba chick was more attractive to him than David's honor was. So David decided that one time, when his general was away, he'd sleep with his wife. And they did. She got pregnant. David's like, oh, crud, she's pregnant. General, we're pretty close. He leads my armies. What am I going to do? So David, in his great wisdom, decides to put this general at the very front of an attack on a city wall so that he would be killed. And it worked. Dude died. General was killed. So David got Bathsheba. And then a prophet came to David. And he told him a story about a lamb who a rich man stole from a poor man. And David became incensed. David was so angry at the injustice that this rich man would steal. The, it, was this, it was this poor man's only lamb. He had one lamb, while this rich man had many lambs. This poor man had one lamb. And as the prophet was speaking to David, David became enraged that this rich man would take this poor man's one lamb away from him. He's like, where is this man so that I may punish him? And the prophet responded like this. That man is you, O king. You are that rich man. For you have everything. And your general simply had his wife Bathsheba. And you took her from him. You, O king, deserve this punishment. Like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. That was written by David's son, Solomon. In biblical times, walls protected the city. They kept the good in and the bad out. That's what self-control does. Keeps the good in and the bad out. 
Paul says this in Corinthians. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. That's in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 25. If you've ever done sports, you know you have to train. You have to work. You have to get your body in control. You have to create that muscle memory. And I would argue that when approached by sin, when we're tempted, when we have things that want to kind of weasel their way into us, that we can develop a spiritual muscle memory to help defend us against that, to train. It's training, mental, emotional, spiritual, working on that, that self-control that the Holy Spirit can bring to us. And we can't do it alone. I can't just will myself to not be tempted. It doesn't work. But I can develop responses inside myself to respond to those areas that trigger that lack of self-control. Um, when, when Cormac was little and we'd go bowling, if you guys have ever taken kids bowling, they have, they have these things that they can put in the gutters that guard the gutters, right? So that way, like, every time you roll the ball, you're going to hit a few pins. You might not get a strike, but you're going to hit some pins. Self-control... If we can put self-control in those gutters, in our minds, and in our hearts, when that ball that is sin rolls and is heading for the gutter, that temptation that comes to us, and it's heading toward the gutter that is our mind and is our heart, if that's full of self-control, if that's full of the Holy Spirit, if that's full of God's Word, if that's full of Jesus, it can just bounce off that. And while I might not get a strike... I'm going to at least win in some way and get some pins, right? To me, a strike is, oh, I'm not tempted at all. Look, I'm, I've like kind of mastered this area of my life. Which for me doesn't happen a lot if I'm being completely transparent. But with these gutter guards in place, I'll at least get some pins. <laughs> and it won't end up in the gutter. I hope that makes sense. Um, Romans 7, 14 through 25. I can anticipate the response that is coming. I know that all of God's commands are spiritual, but I'm not. Isn't that also your experience? Yes, I'm full of myself after all. I've spent a long time in sin's prison. What I don't understand about myself is that I decide one way and then I act another, doing things I absolutely despise. So if I can't be trusted to figure out what is best for myself and then do it, it becomes obvious that God's command is necessary. But I need something more, for I know the law, but I still can't keep it. And if the power of sin within me keeps sabotaging my best intentions, I obviously need help. 
I realize that I don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I can't do it. I decide to do good, but I don't really do it. I decide not to do bad, but then I do it anyway. My decisions, such as they are, don't result in actions. Something has gone wrong deep within me and gets the better of me every time. It happens so regularly that it's predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. I truly delight in God's commands. But it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in that delight. Parts of me covertly rebel. And just when I least expect it, they take charge. I've tried everything, and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question? The answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can and does. He acted to set things right in this life of contradictions where I want to serve God with all my heart and mind, but I'm pulled out by the influence of sin to do something completely different. Only through Jesus can we master sin in our lives. You just, like... I don't know if any of you guys have ever tried to just will something to happen. Like, with all that you have in you, and you still mess up. Right? You still mess up. You still do the thing. And Paul, I I love, I love Paul's transparency. I love that Paul said this. Because if the Apostle Paul, who like basically kicked off Christianity after Christ and planted all these churches and you know, God used hugely, and Paul is wrestling with this stuff, that gives me some hope, right? It gives me some hope. Um, but he says he can't do it by himself. He needs Jesus, and so do we. So here's how we're going to end today. I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask God to um, incorporate these fruits of the Spirit in us. And we're, because it's a holiday weekend, we um, thought we would end on kind of a, in a celebration song and um, just let you guys go. I was trying really hard to end earlier this week, and I'm going to achieve that. So um, I just want to pray God's blessing over you. So Lord Jesus... For each one in this room, for those watching online, Lord God, would you fill us with your faithfulness? Would you show us how to be faithful? Lord, would you implant your gentleness into our emotions, into our responses, into who we are? Lord Jesus, just as Paul says, I find myself doing those things that I don't want to do. Even though I know your law, even though I know what is right, even though I know what is just, I still find myself messing up and following sin. But through you, Jesus, you can make me a better person. You can make me a better follower. 
So Jesus, would you come and show us how to, how to have self-control? Jesus, would you put self-control in us in those places where we just can't manage it on our own, God? Bless my friends, Jesus. Bless them, Lord. Lord, bless them with every fruit of your spirit, Lord God. Bless them with a heart that seeks to follow you, Jesus. Bless them, Lord. Amen. So we're going to celebrate, and then that will be the end of our service. God bless you guys.
<laughs> Thank you, Jesus. You guys have a great week, and we'll see you next Sunday.